Greg Wheel, you're again for this show titled The Difference Between Licensing and Franchising. Does it really matter? Um, I'm pretty excited about today's call because my uh, expert guest is Emma Jervis. Um, she's uh, from Legal Vision. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to her in a moment because uh, so I'm, glad to, I'm glad to have her because we're all busy and she's particularly busy in, in, her, uh, in her field. Um, but thank you all to this franchise radio show. Um, I'd like to say that um, any, any notes you want to take, I do recommend you take, so have a pad and a pencil nearby. And by all means, getting back in touch with me uh, if you want to clarify anything, and I can put you in touch with Emma or, or her team. So uh, just to run into the, uh, the format then, I, I suppose I'm frequently asked what's the difference between a license and a franchise, particularly by people who would prefer to use a license instead of a franchise, for whatever reasons. Um, we at Franchise Assembly are committed to ensuring you're informed about all relevant topics, including the decisions around this particular aspect of licensing and franchising. So um, today we're joined by say, Emma Jervis from Legal Vision. Um, Legal Vision are Australia's fastest growing legal services provider. Um, they they do, do offer a very uh, high quality cost effective solution for Australian businesses, um, full advice and documentation. And like ourselves here, their modus operandi is very simple. They operate online. Um, I, I term them to be like, like us, really. We endeavor to be disruptors. Um, they often work remotely, so they can work fairly quickly, and they're, they're very efficient. Emma heads their franchising team, uh, a group of them. They're acting for franchisors and franchisees across all aspects, the back-end work, uh, preparation of franchise documents, and then the front-end, um, addressing any issues, disputes, issuing new franchise agreements to new franchisees and so on. So her, her role is of ensuring there's a one-stop franchise shop for all her clients. Um, and uh, I always find her very direct and concise, and she provides invaluable information. So I know today we're going to get some gems. Um, she's got a lot of experience, really very extensive, including acting for a number of large franchise, or in a large, number of large franchise disputes in the federal court system. And she uses that background in litigation to help guide the dispute resolution process, aiming to avoid unnecessary litigation and so on, so that solutions can be found simply. So, Emma, welcome. It's lovely to have you here today. How are you? Thank you, Brian. I'm well, thanks. Is there anything you wanted to add to the little uh, bio I ran through there? No, I think you, you've covered both me and the firm very well. Thank you. Good. That's a pleasure. Um, in Australia, I might say to everyone then, uh, prick your ears up because we're now getting into the business end. Um, it's imperative to explore documentation to find out what provides you with the best control and protection for your business, um, particularly in respect to franchising and the, the advantages and disadvantages. And uh, the criteria varies a bit from country to country, particularly in Australia. Um, it, it's equally critical to consider any influences that may affect the value of your business, ultimately, or the saleability of it, because that's you know always an important factor that people often overlook at the beginning of a, a commercial enterprise. Um, so. It's, it's worth being conscious of the need to do that and to look at it individually, country by country. Yeah. There's a lot of factors we can run through, so I get the ball rolling and hand over the, the baton to Emma just with a quick question. Can you, can you give us a comprehensive understanding of the definition of a license, please, Emma? 
Sure. Um, a license, in essence, is a right to use at law. And that's it, plain and simple. Right, okay. Well, that's, that's, that's fairly straightforward. So then, then we say, what's the difference between a license and a franchise then? Um, okay, what's sure. a franchise? Yeah. So a franchise is, in effect, a license, but it's a license that goes a bit further. And it's a license that in Australia is, is governed by the specific industry code, being the Franchising Code of Conduct. Um, and it's important to note from the outset that even if you've uh, termed your document a license agreement, if it looks like a franchise and it sounds like a franchise and it smells like a franchise, <laughs> it will still be a franchise at law. Um, so determining then if, if it is a franchise at law, there are four primary um, factors or indicia that you have to consider. Um, firstly, it's whether there is an agreement in place. Um, and that agreement doesn't necessarily have to be in writing. It can be um, an oral or even an implied contract between the parties. Um, secondly, whether there's an association or, or ongoing use with a particular trademark or logo. Um, thirdly, whether that ongoing use is associated with the payment of a fee on the part of the franchisee slash licensee. And fourthly, um, whether there is a prescribed system and marketing plan. And obviously the first of those three in this year, if you will, apply uniformly to both a license and a franchise. So it's really that fourth one um, that is the, the main point of contention and the main point of examination in deciding am I going to be a franchise or a license. Right, okay. So it, it, I've often hear that even broken down a little further because when we say marketing plan, I think even if there's a system, that sort of falls under the same umbrella. Is that right? From from yes. rulings that have been made and so on. Mm. Yep, that's mm. correct. That's, so it's looking at it not just in terms of what the document is, but how it's actually going to operate in practice. Right, right. So it's how it works on the ground. Yeah. Correct. So it's a very broad, it's quite a very broad definition, isn't it, really? Um, it is. So, uh, so I suppose people go to great lengths, or used to, to, to avoid being a franchise for, for whatever reasons they felt better off with the license and their own mm -hmm. personal feelings or whatever. So um, if I think my business model qualifies as a license, mm -hmm. um, what, what are the key differences in essence between, between the two? Sure. So the primary um, difference is the level of control that can be exercised. Um, right. As I said, a license is in essence just a right to use, whether it's a right to use a particular piece of intellectual property or um, a right to use a particular piece of software. It's granting somebody the ability to exploit your property, in effect. Um, once you start putting parameters on how that can be used, how that use can be promoted, you start to get much more into franchise territory. Right, okay. So when I mean, distribution licenses, for example, traditionally mm -hmm. were, I suppose, the standard um, format where one thought about a license. Certainly, I've, I've always used that as, a, as an analogy. But sure. when would you recommend a license agreement for a client? What sort of circumstances would you say a license agreement suits you? You don't need anything more detailed. Sure. So a license agreement is a really good option where a client has a particularly saleable brand or a particularly saleable um, software system or something like that. Um, they want to expand that brand or the use of that software system through third parties um, and third party sellers, but they don't necessarily want to or need to put parameters around how it's marketed, um, how, how those sellers or third party vendors can um, sell other products that are ancillary to the product that they want to exploit in the marketplace. Um, and it, 
and where they, in, in essence, have trust in the per, per, people that they're giving the right um, to go to market with their brand or their or their software product or whatever it is. Um, right. So you mentioned before briefly. You touched on the fact that it's a matter of perhaps of control. Um, yes. That, that so with a license you've got limited control. What, what about I suppose some of the advantages? Um, if, well, what is, I suppose the advantage of a license agreement, perhaps you've covered there. Was there anything to add to, to, to give a little bit more understanding of that? Um, obviously, a license agreement, if it's a true license agreement, won't be governed by the code. Um, so there are less, uh, well, there are no formal disclosure requirements, which is often one of the um, benefits of, of entering into a license as opposed to a franchise, that you escape those disclosure obligations and things under the code. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, and that's that is a bit of a red rag to a lot of people because unfortunately there's a, I think there's a broad misunderstanding. We're not here to preach. We're here to give people information. So Correct. I'll get off my barrow very quickly. Um, so uh, what what about disadvantages of a license then to sort of look at the other the other side of the fence, as it were? Sure, and it, in essence, the advantage can also be a major disadvantage in that you do lose that control. So you don't then have a say about how your product or your service, for example, is um, marketed to the public. Um, you can't put parameters on how it is to be used, so it might be used in a way that it wasn't intended to be used. Um, you can't, for example, require a significant level of ongoing reporting back from licensees, so you might not have as much information as you would with a franchise model as to how it's actually being picked up in the market. Right, right. So if those are things you, you're conscientious about, then you need to look very closely at the franchise model as being the way to, to, to fulfil that for you, I suppose. Sure. So I often look at it as what does, what does the licensee slash franchisee want? Do they just want your intellectual property or your software or, or whatever the relevant item is to be able to use as they see fit? Or do they want to basically walk in and have a business model and a business system in place? which is enforceable and which they have to adhere to. And if it's the latter, you're much more in franchise territory than license territory. Right. You mentioned there with license agreements, for example, you know, insisting on certain things like reporting and so on obviously mm -hmm. limits the, the ability of the licensor to be able to manage the use of whatever the particular product or service might be. What are the limits to that? Sort of terms and conditions. I mean, other things you can squeeze in, which traditionally we've seen people do. It's a bit in that grey area, isn't it, where they step tenuously between the two. It is definitely a grey area, and obviously all licences are going to have some conditions or, or some terms that have to be adhered to in um, exploiting that right of use. Um, right. But it's a real grey area, and from a legal perspective, the best thing to do there is, is to look at the case law. And look at, you know, the court has applied these, these four indicia in determining franchise versus license. And in what cases have they term, determined franchise or license and why was that the case? Right, okay. So it means digging a bit deeper and getting some understanding of where the parallels may apply to you sort of thing. That's um, correct. Now, I know that this was a bit of a sleeping sort of uh, area for quite a long time since the code was, was more clearly defined a few years ago. Um, but there have been cases where there have been challenges by licensees, I think, of licensors' um, contractual arrangements disputing, and in fact the ACCC's waded in 
and said, hang on, this actually is a franchise, not a That's license. Correct. Um, That's correct. That, what, I, I believe there's some fairly stiff penalties these days as far as that. What, what's actually, um, uh, what, do you sta- what do you stand to, to lose or what do you have to face up to if the ACCC does get on your trail? Sure. So ACCC obviously has quite um, far-reaching powers with respect to auditing um, specific business models. Um, and the ACCC is also empowered with enforcing the code. So the, the big thing is if you are indeed a franchise that you're masquerading as a license, you will not then have complied with the code insofar as you will, will not have given the prescriptive disclosure documentation. You won't have adhered to, for example, cooling off periods and all of those other statutory rights afforded by the code to franchisees. Um, and you're then in breach of the Australian consumer law in essence and you can be fined by the ACCC. Um, the ACCC can uh, bring proceedings seeking um, orders for your compliance and, and changing your model and systems. Um, but it goes a little bit deeper than that in so far as it's not just the ACCC that you can be liable to, but you can actually be liable to um, your what are your licensees. So there's some some cases where licensees have brought proceedings against their licensor. Um, one of the basis of the proceedings was that they were in fact a franchise um, and therefore they ought to have given disclosure. The fact, the fact that they didn't give disclosure uh, meant that the licensee entered into this agreement as it were somewhat blind um, mm-hmm. and they say that had disclosure been given they would have then um, not entered into that agreement. And there's been some very substantial damages awards ordered by the courts in those sorts of circumstances. Right. Are there any cases you can mention or even without names maybe an example of the sort of extent of this, what one may be liable for if one treads over that line? Yeah, sure. So there's there's a couple of primary authorities. Um, A a full court, federal court decision in 2012 of Rafferty versus Madwix was one where um, the a licensor, if you will, was actually operating under a rights agreement, as they called it, um, and the court there looked at the agreement, and they didn't just look at the agreement, but they looked at specifically how this how this business operated, um, and they said, well, no, you're not a license agreement, a rights agreement doesn't apply, you are a franchise at law, um, and there they held that there was, you know, a coordinated method of, or procedure of of how the the goods or services had to be sold, um, that they had specific requirements for record keeping, um, that they limited the ability of their licensees to sell other products other than what was being licensed, um, that they had to then approve all promotional material was one of the factors that they considered. Um, So a whole raft of things, but basically the ultimate finding, if you will, is that it was very systematised, that everything had to be done by the book and that the licensor could ultimately control this process. Um, and, in, and in that case, they were um, held liable for, the, for that same reason I was saying before that they hadn't given disclosure, notwithstanding that they were a franchisor and therefore were required to give disclosure. Right. And what's the sort of scale of penalty that are likely to be imposed then, Emma? Well, the penalties um, are dependent on penalty units. Um, so the ACCC can enforce penalty units per breach. Uh, I don't want to quote a figure. I think it's around 57,000 at the moment, but I'd have to double check that precise right. figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you think that you know one act can, can represent multiple breaches, you're talking about a substantial sum. Um, right. Looking then at damages, if somebody has entered into an expensive license model, they've been operating it at a loss for multiple years, 
Um, and the court ultimately makes a finding that they would not have entered into that agreement had they been given uh, disclosure. The damages awards can be in the millions. Right, okay. So that's enough to make people's eyebrows lift up and say, hey, perhaps I should look a bit closer at franchising. I want to avoid this risk. Um, particularly I certainly hope so, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. from that point, I mean, I know we can all help people whether they want to license or a franchise, so we're not pushing any particular barrow, but nevertheless, um, if you look at franchising, what, what would you say these are the points to encourage you to consider franchising more particularly than licensing because you get this and this? What would be your view on some of those points? Sure. Um, and again, it comes back to that central issue of control. If you are offering a franchise model as opposed to a licensed model, you get to control how the product or service is put to market, how promotional activities are undertaken. Um, you get much more detailed information about the success um, through reporting mechanisms that you can put into place. Um, you also get to control, for example, the use of ancillary products. You might be able to say, no, you can only sell my products in this particular business. Um, you also get to ensure that there's a much greater level of consistency, simply by virtue of the fact that you can enforce much more um, systematised methods of doing business. You know that every single one of your franchises is going to have the same look and feel, is going to be offering the products in the same way, um, is going to be adhering to promotional activities and those sorts of things. Um, so there's some of the main benefits. Mm, mm. Um, also, I guess from a, from a practical perspective, it, a franchise is generally a complete business in and of itself. And as I said before, when franchisees are looking to acquire a franchise, they generally want to walk into what is, an, in essence, an entire business system. Um, and therefore, it can be sold as a, an entire business system, and it's generally worth more money because of that. Right. So we're looking at asset value base, and you're generating goodwill effectively. So um, yeah. Um, the, the other one of the one of the points that was. Uh, um, made to me a long time ago um, was that with licenses you're limited in some respects what you can charge for, you know, for for a fee or an agreement mm -hmm. because of the limit of what you're providing. But right. with a franchise, you're actually providing that turnkey business, effectively as you just described it, um, yep. so that you you can actually raise a larger sum. Um, and and of course um, that means you've got extra capital that you've had as an input that you can use to defer or defray previous expenses for setting up and also for resources for expansion. So you've got extra working capital in the business. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you can also, I guess, pull resources more across a franchise system. So through implementing, for example, a marketing fund where all franchisees have to contribute a, a certain amount um, for promotional activities for the benefit of the group as opposed to operating a license where you don't necessarily have that mechanism available to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I take that point. Yeah, that's and that's a good one. So, um, the thing I, I think also when you know when you're when you're in the marketplace and you're selling your license or your franchise, you, you obviously what you're looking for is prospective clients. People are going mm -hmm. to join your system. Um, and just as the value of a franchise or a franchise system grows incrementally with its with the number of franchises you've got and your incoming franchise fees, so that brand awareness and that that value also becomes an attractive aspect for a prospective franchisee, doesn't it? Because a lot of franchise outlets change hands for significant amounts of money because they've got the protection of the franchise agreement. 
Of course. And one of the things that you're buying as a franchisee is the existing goodwill of the brand. So the more brand presence that you have and the more success that you have in the marketplace and the more that that in itself becomes a saleable asset on the part of the franchisor to the franchisee. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing more and more following the trend of the last couple of decades in the US consolidation where groups are merging, taking each other over, acquiring multiple other chains of similar types of businesses, etc., etc. And I suppose that's that's where a lot, a lot of people can see perhaps a, an opportunity in the future. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, with, with regards to franchising a business, if you're a business owner and you're looking at maybe should I franchise, what, what are some of the disadvantages from your point of view that you see in franchising that, that people could perceive anyway, whether they're real or actual is, is another issue. It depends on the individual. Sure. So firstly, there is a greater level of administration, if you will, required um, to mm -hmm. operate a franchise. Um, and there are further legal requirements. So you really do have to be aware of your legal obligations as a franchisor under the code and make sure that you comply with those legal obligations under the code. Right, um, so you do need to keep your franchisees aware of aspects of progress of the business and so on and so forth, uh, marketing and so on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you have to update your disclosure document every year um, and otherwise ensure that the systems are, are in place and that you're adhering to your franchise or obligations as set out in the franchise agreements. Right, um, right. Which can be quite complex in and of themselves. Yeah, look, and I see agreements, I'm sure you do, that have been created. Sometimes I look in, in, in amazement when I see documents of 130 pages yeah. and I think, wow, this has just got so much unnecessary... I mean, yeah. perhaps padding isn't the word, but it gets itself tied in knots. I mean, What's your view on, on, on good documentation? Is there a philosophy you follow? Yeah, certainly. I, I'm not a fan of the 130, 140, 150-page franchise agreements. Um, I think that they do have to be prescriptive insofar as each party can clearly understand what their rights and obligations are under that agreement. Um, and it has to also adhere to the code. The fact is, in Australia, we have a prescriptive franchising code, and that largely governs um, the relationship between the parties anyway. So it's not necessary to duplicate the code, if you will, into a franchise agreement. Um, but it should be it should be a clear and concise outline um, of the, the rights and obligations of both parties. You should be able to quite easily glean that from a franchise document. Yeah, that's one of the things I find. People often come to me and they say, I've already got my legal agreements done and they're really delighted. But yeah. I find that they've done no other research, so they've used, well, I suppose they've pretty much second-guessed um, mm. the information they put in their legal agreement. So um, I, I prefer people to do it towards the end when they've actually, and this is one of the, I think, benefits of franchising, you literally rebuild your business. You start with a clean sheet of paper and you, you do it, you build it again um, mm. you know, as a new exercise and you simplify it all. Um, what would you say would be a, you know, sort of, it depends on the nature of the business. Obviously, some are far more complicated and need more terms and conditions. But what would be, you think, a, you know, a guideline for the number of pages on, on a, in, in a franchise agreement? Um, it's, it's difficult to sort of give a final number mm. of pages. I've seen quite good agreements that have been 25 pages. Um, mm. And in particular, master agreements, generally they don't have um, all the nitty-gritty. They'll just have a, a general statement of, of rights and obligations of parties. Um, and they can apply globally. Um, 
and often that they're a good document insofar as you can't get lost in the detail because the detail just isn't there. Um, uh, generally, yeah, yeah around. Sorry, I, I, I think I think the documents are created generally around 50 to 60 pages, which mm. covers all of the main points that have to be covered. Um, does set out, you know, the the rights and obligations of the parties, um, but won't necessarily have you know, detail as to every single contingency that could ever ever possibly happen, which is just unnecessary. It is, it just serves to confuse. I think also if you get a dispute, it might give an opening for a, 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 an opposing uh, legal um, advisor to actually say, hey, we've got some things here that don't quite apply. So sure. you've got to be careful you don't leave a, leave, a, leave a door ajar, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. And you've got to make sure you, you're drafting documentation that people understand, that people can actually sit down and read and go, yep, I understand what I have to do. Um, I understand what my obligations are, not, you know, you're asking them to, in effect, read a novel um, lost in, in legalese. Yeah, I think that's one of the great things that's happened in the last few years is that uh, across the, I suppose, the, the, the aware sort of legal fraternity and a bit it crosses into the accounting discipline as well, is people have realised that actually you need to use, you know, easily conversational English, it needs mm -hmm. to be kept simple, um, and you can do it with quite tight um, uh, documents without going into vast amounts of unnecessary confusion. Because mm. to my mind, the trouble with a big document, when a French prospective franchisee looks at it and says, my goodness, this is a bit daunting, and then they give mm. it to their lawyer, and if their lawyer isn't really astute and on top of the documentation side, and few are really, without any disrespect to, to, to people in the legal profession, but they end, you end up with potentially a bit of a dog's breakfast and a 15-page mm. review of what's wrong, don't you? Yeah, or you, you end up in a situation where you're operating under a contract that you don't really understand. Mm. Um, which is not desirable for anyone, particularly when you consider that these contracts are long-term contracts that generally have quite a significant amount of consideration attached to them. You want to know what you're signing up to. Absolutely. So one, one thing about licensing and franchising, people often say, oh, look, I can knock a license, I can, excuse the expression, I can get a license knocked out pretty quickly. You know, mm -hmm. Often, like a lot of documentation these days, they say, oh, I can get it online. We won't go into the, the pros and cons of that. Sufficient to say it's it's quicksand. Um, mm. You know, you do need to get appropriate advice on a document that potentially could impact the value of your business and, in fact, the management, the control of your franchisees. But um, people say, oh, I can knock out a license agreement very quickly. Um, a franchise agreement takes a long time to do. What, what would you say are, as a guideline, the comparative sort of timelines of what it will take you to, to prepare each of those? Yeah, look, it is a more complex document, a franchise agreement, and as I said, that's simply because of that level of control that is exercised um, by the franchisor and the fact that systems can be implemented and things like that. Um, generally, you're looking at you know up to a month to put together a franchise suite of documentation, um, whereas a license can be put together in really a couple of days. Um, yeah. The risk, though, if I can identify it there, is if you think, oh, I'm just going to knock up a, a license agreement, sorry, because it's ch it's cheaper and it's quicker. As I said before, even if you put together what is a fairly simple document um, in the form of a license agreement, but you nonetheless operate your business um, as a franchise and therefore adhering to those four criteria that we talked about before, 
you, you do run that risk. So you really need to know from the outset and you really need to make a properly informed decision from the outset, am I going to operate as a franchise or licence? So in other words, I mean, my recommendation could certainly be you need to get legal advice to clarify because the risks are too are too too significant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Emma, as ever, you're very concise, very accurate, and you've given us some tremendous information in a very very sort of brief period of time. Congratulations on that. Um, are there any other aspects that have occurred to you while you've been talking that you'd like to to mention at all? Um, with respect to the franchise versus license issue, I, I guess, as you say, it is a matter of getting proper legal advice from the start. And I've often been engaged from the outset, Emma, we want you to draft a license agreement. And I will sit with the client and I'll say, oh, but do you want to decide how it's promoted in the marketplace? Do you want to require um, access, for example, to your licensee software system so you can monitor the performance in the marketplace? I'll ask them a whole bunch of questions and it's, it's quite apparent to me after you know, five or six questions that no, they don't want a license, they actually want a franchise. Um, so right from the start and even if it's getting online and reading articles about the topic, right. um, it's important to understand that it's not going to just be a cost saving mechanism to enter into a license as opposed to a franchise. There are significant risks involved and it's important you get it right from the start. Right. Okay, that sounds like good advice. Well, what I might say then, um, before before we close, if, if anyone would like any clarification or further assistance with legal documentation, whether it's a licence, a franchise, or or, or other, other aspects that are, that are relevant, um, please get in touch with me and I can see who's the best person to direct you through to, um, and I'll introduce you personally. It may be aspects like trademarks, which is something that so many people overlook and yet which are critical to get good protection of your brand and, and also to, to give security to your franchisees. So um, mm -hmm. a, a quick reminder though on, on the legal front, and as everyone perhaps knows, we've, got a, we've now got a vault of some 60 odd um, franchise radio shows interviewing a wide range of people that are relevant to franchising. Um, but we have other interviews in this series relating to, to the legal aspects of franchising. So including really an overview of franchising, another one um, we're recording shortly on trademarks, so anything of that nature, do listen to them when they come along because I think you'll find they're really helpful. Good general knowledge, even if you're not franchising your business, there's information we share which I think is valuable to anyone. And whichever way you go, you need, you need to make sure you avoid some of the traps because it's very easy to fall into them um, and you need to avoid that. So um, anyone wants to contact me, delighted to discuss any more detail about today's um, franchise radio show and I would like to thank Emma very much indeed for her time I really appreciate it and thanks again for your, your invaluable information Emma no worries at all Brian thank you okay great well just in closing everybody I hope you all enjoyed it got as much as I have from this conversation um, and I hope that um, Emma has managed to answer your questions any more you've got do get in touch with me in a normal way franchise simply or through the website and um, from that point of view, um, what I'd like to do is say, signing off for now, I look forward to speaking to you in our next Franchise Radio Show.